Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We're going to have the Bible reading now, which comes from Romans 2, uh, verse 11 through to 3, verse 8. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences also bear wit- bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who arbor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. So then, if you are not circumcised, keep the law's requirements. Will they not be regarded as though uh, they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the laws will condemn you, who even though you have written the code in circumcision are a lawbreaker. A person who is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from another from other people, but from God. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much is uh, much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our righteousness brings our God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I am using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderous claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just. Good morning, everyone. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? Great day to be gathered in church, keeping warm together, worshipping the Lord. And so welcome to you Today, today is, if you haven't been before, if you're visiting or you've missed a few weeks, today is week four in a series through the letter of Romans, and it's titled The Big Stuff, because it covers the big parts of our faith. John Calvin, the great reformer, once said, when anyone understands this epistle, Romans, 
He has a passage open to him to the understanding of the whole of Scripture. And so in this series, we believe it's going to take us deeper in our understanding of God and also in our application of faith. So far, we've covered chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2, where we're seeing the Apostle Paul start to unpack the good news of the gospel in great depth. Uh, Last week, Lockie started off chapter 2 for us, and in that passage, it outlined that all of us are worthy of God's judgment. He is a holy and righteous God, and all of us have fallen short of his standard because of our sin. And so one day we'll all stand before him and we'll give an account for our lives. As we explored in chapter 1, the only way we can be deemed innocent and righteous on that day is by putting our faith in Christ. And so Paul, uh, in the second half of chapter 2, continues his argument in this chapter. And you remember in the first week of this series, I gave a little bit of background. And on that first week, I explained that this church in Rome was predominantly a Gentile church. Now, Gentiles are non-Jewish people. Uh, These were non-Jewish people that had put their faith in Jesus. Uh, But it consisted of both Jews and Gentiles. Jews were God's chosen people, and the Gentiles were the non-Jewish people. And in the first part of chapter 2, Paul really goes to town on the Gentiles. He's addressing the Gentiles. He's highlighting their shortcomings and their sin. And I reckon up until this point in the letter... The Jews are probably thinking, yes, Paul, preach it. Show them they're sinners. Show them where they're going wrong. Show them how they're falling short. But midway through this chapter, he kind of changes direction and he changes tact and he now addresses the Jews. He turns his attention towards them. Paul himself was a Jew and in this passage, he is warning his own people. And the very first verse in today's reading is a very pivotal one in the New Testament. Chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For God does not show favoritism. And so he's been highlighting the sins of the Gentiles. And he says, for God does not show favoritism. And now he's highlighting the sins of the Jews. Now, favoritism can be a horrible thing. Some of you here today may have experienced uh, or found yourself in a position in life where you have felt you're on the wrong side of preferential treatment. You felt like there was someone in your sphere that was treated as the favorite. Maybe this happened in a workplace Uh, Maybe it happened in a friendship circle, or perhaps it happened in your family. Now, I've told this story before, but it's really important to tell it again because there was a gross injustice in our family. Uh, I was the oldest of three boys. Uh, Hands up here if you're the oldest child. Let's give these people a round of applause. They are the pioneers and the true heroes. Uh, They are the heroes because they have to pioneer the way, don't they? They have to break in their parents and... Uh, it's something I had to do. Uh, hands up if you're the middle person. Okay, there's not many hands going up because you're like, you're always picking on me. Don't make me put my hand up. That's what middle children do. What if you're the youngest child? The spoilt ones. have got their hands up right now. They are the spoilt kids. Look around. You probably already know it, but they are the spoilt ones. And their job is to show no appreciation whatsoever to the pioneers who have broken the ground for them. And that's what they do, the, the young ones. I was the oldest of three boys growing up. And I did all the hard yards, and I broke in my parents, particularly my mum, and that was no easy task. She's back from overseas today, so it's a little bit awkward to be talking about that this morning. But I was tasked with the job of breaking in my parents. And so when I was in high school, um, for me to get a day off, it just never happened. You know, even if if I was in a coma, uh, it would still be negotiable. You know, I would wake up sick as a dog, and I remember mum saying, get up, you're going to school. Dad would be at work already. Mum's like, get up, you're going to school. And so I remember half dead, making my way to school, feeling sick as a dog. And it was probably pretty similar 
uh, for my middle brother, Mark, but he's the middle child, so I'm sure he's got a different tale of woe to tell about his childhood. But by the time we got to Johnny, the young one, all he'd need was a sniffle. Just go, oh, Johnny, have the month off. And mum would go to his bed and, you know, get the, the warm face wash. Oh, Johnny, I'll get the right temperature for you. You just, you just lay there and you get it all nice. And she'd go and put it on his forehead and let me tuck you in. And what soup would you like today? I'll have chicken and corn. All right, son, I'll do that. And she'd toddle off and she'd get soup and bring it back for Johnny. And there for the month he'd sit there uh, curing. Now, I, I know man flu is a serious condition, but we were talking about the common cold. And he would get a month off school. And that's all because I'd pioneered the way... And, uh, you know, I don't know whether that was favouritism. My parents were pretty good at not showing favouritism, but I'm not sure what else to call it this morning. So let's just go with favouritism. But this passage today starts with Paul saying, God shows no favouritism, which would have been good in our household, but God shows no favouritism. Now, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God shows a guy called Abram. You might remember the promises he made to him. He said, I will make you into a great nation. It became Israel, the Jewish people. He said, I will bless you. And I will make your name great. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. You will be a blessing. And here's the purpose for God's calling of the Jewish people. And we should never forget that there was a purpose for it. Here's the purpose. That all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so the Jews were chosen to represent God on earth and to be a blessing to the whole world. They weren't chosen because they were better than anyone else. They weren't chosen because they deserved it more. They weren't chosen because of their race. They weren't chosen because they were superior in any way at all. They were chosen the same way that all of us are chosen. We're chosen simply by God's grace. They were chosen by God's grace with the express purpose that they would be a blessing to the entire world. And so it would start with them and it would spread from them to all nations. Now the problem with the the nation of Israel was that they remembered the promises of God, but they forgot the purpose of their calling. They forgot why they were chosen in the first place, and they started to see themselves as kind of better than everyone else. And they had this self-confidence about who they were. And the self-confidence, I think, is explained from two main things in this passage today that Paul highlights. First of all, they were confident because they'd been given the law. And he highlights that in verses 17 to 24. And the second reason they were confident is that they had the uh, external sign of circumcision, the promise of God, the sign of his covenant. And so the Jews had been given the law. Moses received the law, the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And so God revealed plainly to them who he was and how they were to live. And it was written down on stone tablets and it was given to them in their possession. And so they got great confidence from that. But secondly, God had given them the covenant sign of circumcision, which was an external sign of the promises of God, and the Jews saw this as a great blessing. Now, when I was a very young child, my parents also took me to be circumcised. It's a little bit too much info on a Sunday morning, but they took me off, and I've got to say, I don't remember it happening, but I can tell you pretty sure, I'm pretty sure, I've had better days. (laughs) And I can tell you I'm confident of that because I don't remember the circumcision day, but I do remember the vasectomy day. (laughs) While we're being honest and transparent and sharing is caring, all that sort of stuff. I remember that day. And it's a day that I'll never forget. I remember heading off uh, to a place. It was certainly not one of my favourite days, but the guy I went to was called Dr. Snip. (laughs) Now, you don't grow up as a young boy dreaming of the day that you go to Dr. Snip. But here I was anyway, in his clinic. 
I had a male surgeon with two female nurses and they gathered around and they started the procedure and just a few moments in, the surgeon's phone rang. And to my amazement, he said, it's my wife, do you mind if I take the call? I said, by all means, I mean, go to the gym if you need to. You do whatever you need. And whenever you're ready, I'm back here. I'm just waiting. I've got these two new friends I've just met. This is really awkward. And he's like, oh, yeah, OK. Uh, hey, darling, what's for dinner? And off he went. He had his chat. And I remember laying there thinking, this is really awkward. And I also remember thinking, I hope he remembers what he's up to when he gets back. I hope he remembers this is a vasectomy, not a castration. It's really important to know the difference. But I can tell you for sure it was not an enjoyable day. Not the sort of day that I'd like to relive anytime soon. So I can only begin to imagine what circumcision was like in Old Testament days, not only for babies, but also for the male adults who went through that process without all the modern day anesthetic and medication that we have today. Working down in that region is not something that us guys would ever equate with blessing. But for them it was, because their circumcision was an external reminder every day. You could probably see it and, and feel it every day of the covenant promises of a faithful God. And so the Jews saw their possession and knowledge of the law and the covenant sign of circumcision as a sign that they were God's favourite. And so their equation was this, the law plus circumcision equals we're okay. That's how they felt. That's what they saw. That was their position before God in their opinion. Now the problem with that equation was simple, and it's what Paul's warning of them of in this passage. The problem was that the Jews were in great danger of missing relationship with God because they were doing things externally, but not loving God internally. There was no relationship. Now, I'm a married man. I'm married to the beautiful Kim. Uh, she's not here today because I've passed on my man flu. Now, what's it called when you pass your man flu on to your wife? It's something but a lesser strain of the same virus, right? It's like Coke and Diet Coke. Lettered and unlettered, that kind of thing. Anyway, I passed it on to Kim, and so she's not here this morning. But I love my wife, and we're in a committed relationship, and we both give and receive in mutual love. And on our wedding day, 18 years ago, uh, I know what you're thinking. I only look 18, right? Thank you. Thanks for noticing. But 18 years ago, on our wedding day, we make great promises to one another, promises to commit to one another, to serve one another, to love and cherish each other. And with God's help, um, we try and do that every single day. So you can imagine what it would be like in our house if I got home and I spoke to Kim like we weren't in relationship. I spoke to her like she was a robot. Like I walk in and I say, I've had a hard day, make me dinner. And then she finished dinner and I said, Kim, clean up. And then she finished cleaning up and I said, Kim, mow the lawns. And I said, Kim, iron my shirt. Can you imagine what would happen? Two things would happen. Number one, I wouldn't still be alive. Number two it would show that we're not in a genuine relationship because that's not the way that you interact or, or talk to someone that you love and cherish and are in relationship with. And in the same way, God hasn't created us as robots where he demands us to do things and we say, yes, sir. And in the same way, he's not a robot that we can manipulate for our own needs either. God has created us for relationship. And let me tell you, the relationship with God is the greatest thing that can ever happen in our lives. There's nothing on this planet, there's nothing in life that can satisfy the way a relationship with the living creator God satisfies. He brings a joy and fulfillment that nothing else will fill in our lives. It's an incredible thing to be in relationship with our gods. And in the context of that relationship, he loves us unconditionally. 
And in our relationship, his desire is for us to choose to love him every day as well. When we love someone, we do things that please them, not because we have to or because we want to manipulate them into doing things for us, but simply because we love them. And this is what a healthy relationship with God looks like. We don't love him or serve him or follow him because we have to. We do it because we want to. This is a great privilege, a great joy in our lives. But for many of the Jews, they saw the external actions of their lives as a means of being in relationship with God and earning his favour, and they were in great danger of missing the point completely. And so I want to stop this morning, and I want to speak directly to us today, whether you're listening on the podcast or whether you're in this room this morning, because I think there are many of us, maybe even in this room today, who are in the exact same danger. We say, yeah, salvation is by grace and faith alone, but the reality is the way we live tells a different story. We live our lives like the things we do will keep us in relationship with God. Deep down, we are relying on our external actions to keep us in relationship. So we say things like, oh, well, I go to church and I read my Bible and I support charity and I grew up in a Christian home and I'm a good person and so I must be okay in God's eyes. For the Jews, they thought, well, we've got the law. We've been circumcised. We're Jewish and so we'll be okay. But Paul is trying to teach the lesson here that none of those things will make a scrap of difference on the day when we stand before Jesus, when God judges people's secrets through Christ because God shows no favoritism. It's the whole point of the book of Romans, is to point us away from our own righteousness to a righteousness that's not of our own, a righteousness that is found only in Christ. He is our only hope for relationship with the living God. That's what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so Paul's making the point, first of all, this morning, that God shows no favoritism. The second point is this, that we're all judged by the same standard. We all come under God's law. Let's look at verse 12. It says, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. This judgment will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares." We're all judged and we're all come under the law of God. A couple of weeks ago in Romans chapter 1, I shared how God reveals himself in two primary ways. First of all, he reveals himself in general revelation. In other words, God reveals himself in what he's created. And so we look out today at the clouds and the skies and the, and the rain and the moon and the stars and all that stuff. And we go, wow, God is awesome. And then we look at the trees and the grass and the animals and the birds and we go, wow, God is incredible. And then we look at uh, you and I creating the image of God and we go, wow, God's creative. Look at us today. We're all different. We're all unique. We're all created in God's image. And God reveals himself in the things that he's made. It's what scholars call general revelation. But there's another way God reveals himself and this is the primary method of salvation and that's through his word. This is what is known as special revelation. This is not some musty old book that we brush the dust off now and then. This is the living, active word of God. 
This is God's very words spoken to us. And in the pages of this book, we can understand who God is. We can understand who we are. We can understand the need of a saviour. We can understand who that saviour is, Jesus. And it's all revealed to us in God's word. And so no matter who we are, where we live, what we've done, all of us will stand before God one day and none of us will have any excuse for rejecting Jesus. God had given his word uh, first and primarily to the Jews. He'd given his law to them. And this was of great advantage to them, as Paul highlights in chapter 3. He says, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? He says, much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. And so the Jews had been given this precious gift. The law of God had been given to them. And it wasn't long before they started priding themselves on being law keepers. They created heaps of laws around the original ones that God gave them. And they positioned themselves as keepers of the law and came to believe that they were the law keepers and everyone else were the sinners. The law they had in mind primarily came from the Ten Commandments given to Moses at Mount Sinai. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 20. Let me tell you what the Ten Commandments are. Number one, that you ought to have no other gods before me. Number two, that there should be no idolatry. Number three, that you should not use the Lord's name in vain. Number four, you should keep the Sabbath. Number five, you should honour your father and mother. Let me say that one again for the kids here. Number five, you should honour your father and mother. Let's repeat it together. Now, you can, you can memorise it later. Number five, honour your father and mother. Number six, don't murder. Number seven, don't commit adultery. Number eight, don't steal. Number nine, don't be a false witness. Number ten, don't covet other people's stuff. These were the Ten Commandments that were given to them, and many of the Jewish people had come to the point that they believed that they had kept that law perfectly. Therefore, they deserved God's favoritism. Therefore, they'd earned a relationship with God. But when Jesus came, he made it clear that we're not meant to just keep the letter of the law, but we're actually meant to keep the spirit of the law. And so we remember the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever given by Jesus. And he said several times in that sermon, he says, you've heard it said. Well, where have they heard it said? They've heard it said in the law. You've heard it said. Entrusted with the very words of God. You've heard it said, don't murder. But if you're angry at your brother and sister, you've broken that law. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is pretty powerful stuff. Jesus is raising the bar on what it looks like to be in relationship with God. And it's not just about the letter of the law. It's about the spirit of the law. Now, I never understood this years ago. I would read the Sermon of the Mount and I'd think to myself, man, Jesus is making already a difficult law. He's making it impossible. How could anyone keep all of this stuff? Like, I can honestly stand before you today and say I've never committed adultery. But can I honestly say I've never looked lustfully at a woman? And so adultery, yep, tick, I haven't done that. But have I looked lustfully? Okay, guilty. Uh, have I murdered someone? You'll be relieved to know as your pastor. No, I can tick. No, I've passed that test. I haven't murdered anyone. Have I wanted to? <laughs> Have I been angry at someone? Absolutely. Fail. Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. I say, love your enemies and pray those who persecute you. Have I always loved my enemy? Have I always prayed for those who persecuted me? Cross. No. Guilty. Jesus seems to be making this impossible. 
And I've come to realize that's exactly what he's doing. He's trying to make this. He's trying to show us that we can't possibly keep the law. Look at verse 13. It says, For it is those who hear the law who are... For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. No one can perfectly do that. No one in this room, no one who's ever walked on planet earth can keep the law perfectly, so we all fall short. And when we stand before Jesus one day, the only logical and just verdict that can be handed down to us by our own goodness is guilty. Our our, our papers will be stamped, guilty. The law can't possibly save us. It merely points us to our need of a saviour. The law is impossible to keep. And yes, that's exactly what the Jews were trying and pretending to do. And Paul highlights it in this passage. John Stott in his commentary on the book of Romans shows eight verbs, doing words, action words, that Paul uses in verses 17 to 20 that show the self-confidence of these Jewish people. Verse 17 You call yourself a Jew. You rely on the law. You brag about your relationship with God. Verse 18, you know his will. You approve of what is superior. You are instructed by the law. Verse 19, you are convinced that you are competent to teach the law. You're a guide for the blind. And in verse 20, you have a knowledge of the truth. These are the things that gave them great confidence that they were okay and that they were the law keepers that were qualified to teach others. Yet they weren't turning the mirror on themselves and being honest about their hearts. So this is what we do all the time, isn't it? Yes. We're, we're great at pointing the mirror at other people, aren't we? Here we go. I look at this a lot of times every day. We're great at holding the mirror like this, aren't we? Look at you, you sinner. Adam. Yeah, you should be listening to this message, mate. Uh, yeah, if you, yeah, and you're thinking, yeah, I've got a friend, I'm going to podcast this message to them because they need to know they've fallen short. Sam, you've fallen short, mate. You're a sinner. Ronald, we already know it. <laughs> you guys, look at you. Dean's not looking. Here, look. See, look, this is what we do, isn't it? We shine the mirror at everyone else and we go, oh, well, it's, it's your fault. It's your problem. You fall short. You're sinners. You're not like me. The problem is that we never actually turn the mirror on ourselves. And that actually looks pretty good. But you know the point... <laughs> We never turn the mirror on ourselves because we're too busy reflecting it at other people, showing them their shortfalls and their shortcomings. And so today, don't podcast this to anyone else. Don't nudge your husband or wife, but have a look at the law yourself and say, how do I stack up to all this? Am I falling short in my own life? And the answer will be yes. Paul is saying to these people, turn the mirror around. This is what the law does as we look into it. It reflects back to us and it highlights our shortcomings. And so in verse 21, he takes the law that these people had so much confidence in and he uses it as a mirror into their hearts. Let's look at it. Verse 21. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You are abhor idols. Do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? These are hypothetical questions, and the answers are yes, 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 yes. John Stott puts it well. He says, Paul's words are a pricking of the balloon of Jewish pride and presumption. And it's so true. They had the law. They had circumcision. Their, their pride had been puffed up. And Paul takes these words like a pin, and he goes, pop. And all of a sudden they realize there's no righteousness in and of myself. 
He's pointing to the fact that we need Jesus. In verse 24, he says, As it is written, and he quotes Ezekiel 36, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What a slap in the face. They're saying, we're the chosen one. We're God's chosen people. And he's saying, no, no, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Not only are you falling short, but through your hypocritical behavior and your self-righteousness, you are causing God's name to be dishonored. And we can look at them and we can go, tut, tut. Naughty, naughty. But the question is, are we any different? Are we any different? For us today, if there's anything that keeps people from faith, let me tell you this morning, it's not Jesus. It's Christians. So often, it's us. Christians who look down their noses pretending that they've got it all together, that they're better than everyone else. Christians who become the moral police. Christians who are only heard of when they're rallying against something, not talking about the love of God. Christians who are hypocritical. And in a postmodern world, let me give you a little tip for mission. If you want to reach your friends with the gospel, people are sick to death of Christians like that. People aren't attracted to perfection. People who pretend to be perfect tend to repel people. But I tell you what they do gravitate to. They gravitate to people who are honest and transparent and real. And this is absolutely... That's what God's calling us to be, those kind of people. We're not perfect. Let's not pretend we are. Let's be honest about our shortcomings and let's rely on the grace of Jesus Christ in everything we do. This is what Paul points out to the Jews in this passage. You claim to be the law keepers, but you are lawbreakers just like everyone else. What are you? You're hypocrites. And people attribute that to God's name because of you. Paul has brought these people back down to earth with a giant thud by turning the mirror on them. And it all comes to what he's trying to get to us right through the book of Romans. It's the third point of the message today is simply this, that our only hope for righteousness is Christ. Look at verse 25. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you've become as though you've not been circumcised. All of them have broken the law. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. Verse 28, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is, from other, is not from other people, but from God. Paul is showing that they have put their faith in their heritage. They see themselves as the favourites. And I think many people have that same false notion today that somehow um, Jew, Jewish people have special treatment that no one else will get. But I don't believe that's what the New Testament teaches. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ." Galatians 3.28 says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so the promises God's made, when we accept Jesus, we step into those promises. This is the glorious news of the gospel. God doesn't show favorites. We who are outside have been brought inside by faith in Christ. That's an incredible thing. 
We can hold on to the promises of God with great confidence, not because we're a certain nationality, not because of anything else, except for the fact that we put faith in Christ by the grace of God. They are unshakable promises. They are glorious promises for us. As Billy Graham, the great Billy Graham said, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. There's no one on a different plane at the foot of the cross. We all come broken. We all come needing a saviour. On Judgment Day, we can't wear a badge that says, I'm Jewish. We can't wear a badge that says, I go to church. We can't wear a badge that says, I'm circumcised. That would be awkward anyway. We can't wear a badge that says, I have the law. We can't wear a badge that says, I'm a good person. None of those will make any difference at all. The only badge we can wear that will grant us eternal access into the kingdom of God, the only confidence we can have before the throne of judgment is the badge that says, Jesus, the blood of Jesus is over my life. He's done for me what I could never do for myself. He is the righteousness of God that has been imputed to me by faith in what he's done for us. You can try and be good. You can try and keep the law, and they're good things to do. But no matter how good you are, you will fall short. If your assurance of salvation is based on your own goodness, it's no assurance at all. You'll never make it. Keeping the law is a good thing to do, but it will never save you. This is the whole point of the book of Romans, and his whole argument is leading to this in chapter 3. We're going to get to this in a couple of weeks, but let me read it to you today. Verse 21. But now, apart from the law, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets all testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes by Jesus Christ. This is glorious good news. This is the gospel, and it brings us a security and identity that nothing else can. It's unshakable, and it's unbelievably wonderful. I just want to ask you the same question I asked you a couple of weeks ago at the end of this service. I want to ask you this question. Have you accepted Jesus? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Because Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And so I want to ask you today, is Jesus knocking on the door of your heart this morning? Because if he is, and I believe he is, open it by faith and step into the life saving grace of God for the forgiveness of sin and the only hope we have for eternal life, achieved for us not by anything we've done or by who we are, but through Jesus' work on the cross on our behalf. That is wonderful news. If you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Saviour, and today you want to ask him into your life, I'd love to pray for you after the service. I'll be down the front. I'd love you to come and see me, and I'd love to pray with you. A sinner's prayer to say, Lord, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I'm sorry that I fall short. But Lord, I need a saviour. I need someone who's going to rescue me from my sin and give me the hope of eternal life. I'd love to pray for you this morning. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.